last, you know, after the game last time, uh, they kind of took the Nick Miller spot uh, of uh, begging for free throws and calling, you know, calling out the referees and. Uh, Joel Embiid was a big factor in it. You know, this is one of the bigger coaching uh, bidding wars we've seen in a few years. All right, it is the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590. The fan that was one, Joel Embiid, uh, against the Nets earlier this year. And two, that was uh, ESPN's Brian Windhorst uh, reporting on uh, one of the news items of the day that Nick Nurse is the next head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. By the way, text line as it is always, open at 590-590. Yeah, the list of NBA teams without a head coach now down to three. Bucks, Sixers, a couple of Raptors employees now employed at those locations, and it was just days after uh, former assistant Adrian Griffin uh, landing in Milwaukee. Nick Nurse with his own MVP in Philly. He will try to get the uh, Sixers over their own playoff hump. Uh, certainly would help if they still had Jimmy Butler. Who's into his second NBA Finals? As the I Eastern can't Cup. win alone. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you might not have jo- uh, James Harden either. Uh, certainly wish you still had uh, Jimmy Butler, who's into his second NBA Finals, uh, becoming just the second eight seed to play for it all in the history of the NBA, joining the 1999 New York Knicks. We'll talk about... Why is Harris over me? We'll talk about all those issues with our next guest. It is uh, the great Michael Grange who joins us on a Tuesday. How's it going, Grange? It's pretty good, Ben. I'm just okay. I'm just the okay Michael Grange today, but I'll do my best for you. No, you're the great. Uh, thanks, and we appreciate the effort. Um, so the, the nurse thing uh, sticking in the Eastern Conference now, we, we did play that clip from Brian Windhorst that the, the Suns were also in on him choosing Joel Embiid over Kevin Durant. What do you make of that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I think you're going with a younger superstar. Um, although Devin Booker might have something to say about that too. Um, you know, I just probably just some confidence with Daryl Morey and background and all that. So that if things do kind of take a hard right turn in, in Philly and you just never know. And uh, the way things go, like you have some confidence that, you know, you're not only, you know, signing up to coach the player, but you're also, could be working for somebody you who kind of have a history with and believes in you. So I think that's probably important. And, um, you know, I think the, I'm sure, I don't know if this would have been a factor or not, but if you're trying to, you know, I, th- I think Joel Embiid is a more enriching palette, so to speak. Like, like nobody's, if Kevin Durant wins another NBA title, I don't think coaching is going to be getting, the credit, right? Like he's Kevin Durant. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, whereas with Joel Embiid, like he's, you know, he's kind of clearly, you know, reigning MVP, two times second in the MVP race, and yet a clear drop off uh, in the playoffs and shortcomings in the playoffs. And some of them administer some of that due to Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a real uh, challenge and a, and a feather in your cap to be the guy who kind of helped Joel Embiid unleash his, unleash his full potential, of which is pretty considerable. So I think uh, that, you know, again, I'm not saying that's why he took it or, or whatever. Maybe maybe Philadelphia just was going to pay him more for more years. That could be <laughs> part of it, too. We don't know that yet. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the goal is obviously to win a championship in both places, but, yeah, quite literally getting past the second round would be somewhat of a success in Philadelphia because they failed to do that. Under uh, Joel Embiid, I mean, there's there's question marks in both places. I mean, there's Chris Paul question marks, there's DeAndre Ayton question marks 
in Phoenix. I mentioned the James Harden question mark in Philadelphia, who uh, doesn't exactly have a stellar playoff resume. Um, what would you do? He has an opt-out uh, for the uninitiated, so it can become a free agent. We keep hearing these rumors about Houston. We keep hearing that you know all the potential coaching hires in Houston were asked about their their um, their I don't know willingness to coach a team with with James Harden and that being like a prerequisite to take that job which is interesting because he is not yet a free agent but it does like feel like more and more than whispers that he's going to return to Houston if you were the Sixers though and it's up to you would you bring him back I'd be pretty hesitant about it um you know on anything other than a a really short-term deal you know because I think uh, if you lock into James Harden for four years, um, you've pretty much, especially with the new CBA and, and how that's going to affect your salary cap situation going forward, um, you know, you're locked into that team. And, you know, James Harden's still a pretty special player, but he's certainly got some holes in his playoff resume. And I think he's, you know, it's pretty evident that he's not quite the guy he was five or six years ago in terms of being able to just dominate uh, at his will. And so, um, you know, I think if you're, yeah, I, I would be very hesitant to bring him back for anything other than, than one year in a team option. And I'm sure, you know, I've, I've heard that Houston might be going, willing to go as long as four. And mm. I think if that's the math and it's pretty clear that James Harden won't be back. And so the question becomes, you know, what options do, uh, do the Sixers have to kind of fill in that gap? And, you know, Tyrese Maxey's a really, really special young player who's got, so, you know, if anything, it kind of opens up some opportunity to play him more. And then you hope that the uh, probably presumably that the, you know, the presence of nurse and the chance to play with Embiid and, you know, and, uh, you know, you can get some stuff done with the mid-level and, and you can kind of round things out. But it's interesting, as enticing as any of those three jobs are, like Milwaukee, Phoenix and, and Philly, um, you know, they all had serious question marks, which is kind of hard to imagine given that in each case you had, you know, MVPs and, you know, in Giannis and Embiid, you have MVP, recent MVPs in the prime. And in, and in Phoenix, you have a former MVP uh, who's still near his prime. And then Devin Booker, who might be an MVP pretty soon. So, you know, and yet, you know, when the, the goal is, and that's what Knicks is stepping into, it's not to be a good team. It's to be a great team. It's to win. And, um, you know, and I think if that's the, the you're trying to thread that needle, um, you know, everything matters. And, and so I think either of those, if he, you know, any of those situations he would have ended up in would sort of be the same. A lot of pressure, really high expectations, incredible opportunity, but certainly no sure thing. No, no sure thing. And, that, you know, I was going to get to this, but let's do it now that, I mean, we do have an eight seed in the finals for, for just the second time in NBA history. The other team was uh, number one seed in the West, but uh, didn't exactly look like a dominant force down the stretch of the regular season. Um, and, and maybe we should have taken that with a grain of salt. And, and they have a, a great, great player, a guy that, that could have won three straight MVPs. And maybe that is the, the dynasty that's just starting to, to reach its potential this season. But, yeah, I, the, the words of Masai Ujiri keep ringing in my head about him talking about the landscape of the NBA not being like there's no obvious dynasty out there that you don't have to be necessarily super great to do super great things. And I guess the Heat would, would be indicative of that. Um, what do you make of that now watching the way the playoffs have played out after hearing Masai 
use that as some of his reasoning to, to not tear it down to the studs? <laughs> um, you know, there's some merit in that. Uh, I would also, you know, you can still counter, right, where it's it's no matter what your team is, you've got to have guys who are – you've got to have some pretty special guys who are able to to dominate series, you know, and, and Milwaukee – or sorry, Miami certainly has that. Um you know, I'm stunned, right? I just cannot believe that. Uh, <laughs> Trailing that, Chicago in the second half of the play-in game. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just did not see Boston not making it to the finals, especially once they got past, uh, you know, Philly. But if I kind of look back, I just think Boston's an excellent team. I just think, you know, they definitely had a little bad luck with Brogdon getting hurt. I think they had some bad luck with... Uh, Tatum rolling his ankle on the first play of the game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they certainly in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have two high usage uh, plays, players that, you know, you almost have to run offense through who each in slightly different ways have a habit or a pension for, you know, not you know they're. Not, I wouldn't. I don't want to say they're not high IQ players because it's impossible to be as good as they are and not be. Mm-hmm. But they they each of them are a little lacking in that final polish of you know being able to harness all of their ability and still make plays for others and still recognize when the right time to make those plays for others is. And you know, Jalen Brown sometimes it's a I think he's a victim of his aggressiveness, which is maybe his best feature, but it can get, definitely get him in trouble. And uh, that's something he's going to have to develop. He's going to he's going to reach his full potential. And Tatum, you know, even if you throw out Gate Seven when he was hurt, mm-hmm. you know, he's had incredible performances in this playoffs. Some of the best ever. Well, one of the best ever against in Game Seven against uh, Philly. Yep. But you go back to say, I'm pretty sure it's Game Three on the road. You're really up against it. And the last five minutes of that game, he looked like he couldn't play. Like he just forgot to play. They, they packed and, him in. Yeah, and, and just, you know, the turnovers were coming and the shot attempts weren't. And um, and so, yeah, so, you know, again, you can't predict all of that stuff. It can only kind of explain it. And, um, you know, and I will say here right now again, I'm sorry, Miami. I just don't see you guys getting by Denver. <laughs> but, um, you know, clearly uh, this is why I don't gamble. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. Uh, although I did on Jimmy Butler at times this postseason, and, and it worked out for me. Um, but yeah, no. Is, is there anything to be like gleaned from this this Miami thing? Like it's so unexpected, and it, it does feel like such an outlier. And there's only one Jimmy Butler, and this yeah, it was a a Heat team that's looked very different uh, during the regular season at times than the one we've seen here, where like Duncan Robinson's back in the rotation, and he should be for the amount of money he's playing. And, Caleb Martin turning into like an MVP. That's, I guess, unpredictable. Um, a guy that was undrafted, but, you know, they, they did lock well, him up long term. I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess if, if there were something you could glean from it is you need depth. Yeah. You need some quality guys um, to play, who can play capable of playing who are behind your quality guys. And so, you know, so when the Heat, uh, you know, go out and get Kyle Lowry and think he's going to be their ultimate answer point guard, and you know, for whatever reason, it hasn't quite worked out. I think he's given them some good minutes this year for sure in the postseason. Um, but, you know, the fact that you have Gabe Vincent who can st- come in and be a really effective starter for you, um, that's a pretty good, you know, and then, uh, and then similarly you go and get Kevin Love, who's a, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer maybe. Mm. 
and all of a sudden he's not starting, and in, in, in his place is Caleb Martin, who uh, didn't even play in Game Seven against Miami, or sorry, against Boston a year ago. Um, and you kind of keep, and you know, you're right, Duncan. Right, you know, Tyler Hero gets hurt. Well, that's okay. We can kind of square find some more minutes for for Duncan Robinson, and he's still effective. So, um, you know, that to me would be it. And I think as much as I understand the reasoning why you wouldn't want to tear down what the Raptors have to this point. You know, my counter argument would be, you know, I, I'm sorry, I just don't know if if you have those kind of solutions beyond your top five or six players who are under contract right now. And so, unless you're going to develop them, which the Raptors haven't done a great job of the last two three years, or you're going to, you know, you just got to be in that position of surplus mm-hmm. that, um, you know, to, to I think to take advantage of some of the opportunities might. Which might might exist in an NBA that yeah it is not as top heavy as it's been in the past. All right, so let's let's talk more about the, this Raptors team that is one of the three that's still looking for a head coach. There's a report out of Europe that former assistant Sergio Scariolo is a finalist for the Raptors job, which is interesting in, in two regards: one that he's a finalist, and two that we're down to finalists. Um, I, I don't know if if you're hearing the same thing. Like, what what did you make of that report? Yeah, I think uh, we are. I think we're this week is is when the team I think is going to really uh kind of dig deeper on you know the remaining few candidates um you know i don't know i've heard three i've heard four but it's definitely down to a a more manageable list than uh you know the the number of people that contacted in this process um and yeah i mean sergio being one of them on one hand not a surprise i mean he's an incredibly accomplished coach who's got familiarity with the organization and and with the league as an assistant, albeit um, on the other, you know, he looked like he was going to go to Real Madrid, and uh, that's maybe the best job in Europe, and carries a lot less uncertainty maybe than an opportunity here. And then there's also a question of a guy who's never been a head coach in the NBA, coming from Europe, where I'm sorry, the coaching relationship there is just different. You're a much more powerful figure in the organization, both with management and with players at every touch point and uh you know to come here and at age i'm not sure exactly how old sergio is but he's certainly late 50s if not early 60s um to try and you know make that work with a team that you know it's not a turnkey situation here um you know it's it's kind of a, it's sort of well in between uh being really good and not being good so i think uh i think it's a big ask to be honest um so yeah that's an interesting you know it's an interesting name still to be there you keep hearing jordy fernandez from the sacramento kings who's interestingly you know a spanish and spanish head coaches spanish coaches are hot all over the world and ben sergio deserves some credit for that because of what he's done with the spanish federation the last you know 15 years or so uh but but they are the flavor so to speak of the month internationally um, and, you know, before it was Serbians and, and you know, going on down the list. And, and uh, so Jordi Fernandez, interestingly, is a Spanish by nationality coach, but he spent almost his entire career in uh, in North America and specifically in the NBA and even more specifically basically working with Mike Brown, um, both in Cleveland and Sacramento. So, you know, but I know people have worked with him and speak super highly of him. And, uh, you know, he seems to be one of these guys who's who's ready to grab an opportunity. So we'll see. Um, 
Steve Nash, you kind of, I have heard from a couple of places is still in the mix, but mm. then, you know, I haven't been able to confirm that exactly. Um, you know, but there's obviously another interesting name there. And, but I kind of, if I had to bet, I, I wouldn't be surprised the Raptors do do something younger, newer, uh, fresher. And, um, you know, we'll and hope they can grow together, but we'll see. We'll see how it actually shakes out. Yeah, and part of that has to be necessity that they're obviously not. They're not. I don't think um, playing in the same pool as, as some of those other teams that have championship aspirations. You had the report that 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 Steve Nash's uh, interview process went really well. That that people were impressed by one, like his preparation and his plan, and and two, how, his willingness to get back into the into the big chair, which surprised me honestly. The way it ended. Um, in Brooklyn, and honestly, the the way that it's not like he was, I didn't remember him being like desperate to be a head coach, and that he was just kind of brought in again to be. He wasn't really going to be the head coach because it was going to be Kyrie and KD who were the real coaches. And again, <laughs> how disastrous a, uh, a situation that turned into. Were you surprised that 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 the, the in doing the the reporting that that it that he seemed so so determined to get back into the NBA as a head coach? A little bit. I mean, uh, at the very least, he's still got a couple more years on his deal in Brooklyn. So he's got a you know pretty big young family, not so young family. Um, but I think you know it's one of those things, right? The, for those of us who are pretty busy and and uh, you know got a, got no choice but to keep working, not working looks great. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think for people who, for whatever reason, either they're out of work or. or you know, something's happened career-wise, you know, all they want to do is get back in because it gives them meaning and purpose. And, uh, and they, you know, and they, you know, this isn't going back to work in a, you know, a rock pit, right? You're coming back to work in the NBA and working with the best athletes in the world and in your home country. And, um, and maybe the way things went in, 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 in Brooklyn, maybe, lit a fire a little bit right and all of a sudden you know steve's reputation was pretty sterling and it's kind of his first public failure almost you could say and uh maybe there's a part of him that's like you know what i i, I know it wasn't me <laughs> you know i know i could do this job and uh the right situation I'd, I'd, I'd love to jump at it so maybe there's a bit of that too yeah i, I talked to frank isola about him last week and i he kind of sold me on the idea of, of him you know becoming the Maybe I mean he said Eric Spolstra, and that that's a high bar to reach. But yeah, that that it, early in the Eric Spolstra uh, conversation, it was about him being in over his head, right? And then turned into Eric Spolstra. But uh, and that that was also you know him making finals in his first year as as head coach of the Heat. But yeah, losing it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of in on 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 the Nash idea. Uh, before we let you go, Grange. So Bob Myers stepping down as president and GM of the Warriors as well. This, to me, it, it kind of feels like the test case for, for Masai, all the rumors that we always heard about Masai, you know, and the, the, the intrigue of the Washington Wizards circling him year over year over year. That was before he got the Godfather deal, which, like, you know, we, which we don't even have full certainty on the details of, but it, I, it compensate him rather well, uh, and it, it, it feels like those rumors uh, die down. But this does, does this not feel like what it would have been like if Masai Ujiri had become a free agent? A little bit. Um, you know, a little bit. It's, it's, it was certainly shaping up a lot the same way in terms of the stories you were hearing out of it and, you know, the hemming and the hawing. Um, I'm just a little surprised that, that Bob Myers did in the end step down. I think, 
you know, in some ways the difference is, um, you know, I take him as, well, we haven't heard exactly what he's going to say, but, but I mean, you know, if he does speak up and say, listen, you know, it's just time for me. This is an incredibly high pressure, high profile job. And it's been a grind for, you know, the whole 10, 11 years I've been doing it, you know, successes aside and I'm 48, I wouldn't mind taking, you know, the, the time to reflect and decide another path. If there is another one, um, I'll take them at face value, <clears throat> but I would also say, man, after building this thing and everything you've gone through to put it together, would you really want to be the one to say to Clay Thompson, uh, we're cutting you and stretching you <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, to, to be the person to not bring back Raymond green or whatever it might be. Um, you know, those are tough decisions to make or to tell Steph Curry that, uh, you know, I think, you know, that we're going to have to take a couple of lean years here and, um, you know, what do you want to do? Like, I mean, all those things are just me thinking aloud, but, uh, you know, I think whoever ends up with that job looks like it's going to be Mike Dunleavy Jr. He's the person who's going to have to figure that out. And it's a tough, tough act to follow right here. And if you're Bob Myers, um, you know, maybe you didn't want to follow your own act <laughs> because, you know, it's uh, you're probably not going to top it. No, it's a great, great point um, because you were great. Uh, I knew you would be. Michael, thank you for this. <laughs> All right. Have a great afternoon, Ben. Take care. All right. You too. Michael Grange of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. All right. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to Frank Cervelli, but a lot of things. One is that, okay, so it sounds like the, the Raptors are in the final stages of their head coaching search. If you had told me the Raptors were going to hire a head coach before the Maple Leafs hired a general manager, I would have said, no way. There's absolutely no chance of that. The urgency that the Maple Leafs should be acting with is like tenfold what the Raptors should be acting with. And like every report was that the Raptors are going to take their time, that you know they're going to wait until all the dominoes fall and maybe some guys think that they're getting jobs that they aren't actually getting. And whether it's Philadelphia or whether it's Milwaukee or it's Phoenix, and 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 we're under no pressure to make a decision right away. Where the Maple Leafs, they have some rather large decisions to make in the month of June before July 1st. But here we are, and there is no Toronto Maple Leafs general manager. There is also notably no Pittsburgh Penguins general manager after everything that we had heard for the last week or so about the love affair between the Penguins and Kyle Dubas and the meeting between Kyle Dubas and Sidney Crosby and how well those two guys hit it off, that it felt like it was just pen to paper separating Kyle Dubas and Fenway Sports Group. And they were in Monaco. And once they got back from Monaco, then it would be done, done, done. And, like, there's so many other things. into soccer and the Arsenal stuff. That would appeal to him as well. And... Theo Epstein, you know, going down that track, being in the same organization as Theo, the yada, 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 nothing. To which I would say, a little bit curious. And secondarily from that, like, if Kyle Dubas does what he could easily do, which they were talking about on Real Kipper and Born, and say, thanks but no thanks to the Penguins' job, honestly, I, I'd have to... I, I'd hold Kyle Dubas in, in higher regard. Because it was not that long ago that he stepped to a dais, and it cost him his job ultimately, said, I might not be back here. But if I am back here, it's either here or nowhere. I'm not going somewhere else. 
And I know things changed for him, and certainly he thought he was in control of his own destiny when he said that um, at his season-ending media availability. He wasn't, ultimately. But I'll tell you, some of the stuff that was said about the family and the pressures and, and yada, 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 and taking some time off, like that rings a whole lot more true. And, and not that Kyle Dubas should try and you know, prove to me that he was telling the truth. I'll just tell you that that's the case. I will feel like Kyle Dubas was telling the truth more than I currently do, which is I don't feel like he was telling the truth. I felt like, okay, obviously there were some stresses of the job and the family stuff was real, but everybody deals with that. And it was all part of a negotiating ploy because three days later he was offering or he presented a counteroffer to Brendan Shanahan that eventually got him fired. Anyways, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the vacant... GM position for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll also talk about already some brain drain happening for uh, the Leafs as far as their coaching staff. Spencer Carberry, the next head coach of the Washington Capitals. That with uh, Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Next, again, text line open, 595, uh, 590, 590. It's fan drive time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, the fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Time Sports 59 the fan. I'm Ben Annis. Text line open 590-590. And for the second time in five years of their existence, the Vegas Golden Knights into the Stanley Cup final, of course, in their inaugural season, lost in five games to the Washington Capitals. And then Alex Ovechkin, uh, you know, went on the longest bender in the history of championship benders, I think, or is it the, like at least in the running. Uh, and the Florida Panthers into their second-ever final. So we know there will be a first-time Stanley Cup champion this season. Let's talk to uh, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. How's it going, Frank? Pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, how do you feel about this finals matchup? And, and, and secondarily to that, like two finals appearances in the first five years it's of their... Ex- uh, sorry, six years of existence. Um and, and like in in a kind of a, a certainly a different looking roster than the first time yes. around. Will we ever see this in expansion era? Uh, I, like an expansion team in any sport ever have that immediate success ever again? I don't think so. It's amazing to think I was there the night Bill Foley said that he was revising his projection and wanted it to be within six years. His demand for a Stanley Cup. And I was thinking, this guy, is he's not even on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And to get there in year one and now in six years, be there to win again. I mean, look, I think there's been a lot of missteps. I think the way they've gone about this is so fascinating getting to this point because they've said goodbye to a lot of players and got nothing for them for mm. cap issues that they've worked themselves into. They have very few players left from that original team. 
and and someone that's the GM of a prominent GM of a Western Conference team always says to me, Frank, if you want loyalty, get a dog. <laughs> and I, I think there's something to that, that you need to be a bit cutthroat in how you run your operation. But they're doing something in, that has never been done before, and it's so hard to argue with their success. They yeah. just – four conference finals in six years? Yeah. Come on. No, it's nuts. Yeah, I mean, is that the big lesson then? Is it that, hey, it, don't be afraid to – to let go of something, even if it's, if it's for nothing, uh, don't be sentimental. Is that like if if there was one big takeaway over these six years, as you rightly point out, five in the playoffs, um, would that be it? Yeah, I think that's one of them. Um, I think the cap part has been fascinating to me just because they they were handed a blank slate and they worked themselves into trouble so quickly. Like that to me is what was most alarming about the way that they've run it. But I think all emotion and and sentimentality should be taken out of how you run your operation. Like the idea that you're going to pay players, you know, and we've seen the pitfalls with various teams, whether it's Chicago or whoever it might be, someone that has a lot of success. The Pittsburgh Penguins are the latest, greatest example. Mm. Paying Chris Letang until he's 42, paying Evgeny Malkin. Like Mm. it's great that you guys won three Stanley Cups, but like, I'd like to shake your hand and wish you well, (laughs) like to back yourself into a corner and your franchise into a corner. You want to win the cup the next year and the year after that. And the year after that, it's not about paying guys for what they used to do. It's about paying for guys for what they are about to do. Okay. Well, thank you for the beautiful segue into Kyle Dubas, not yet being named the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, I mean, maybe it's it's just a matter of, of time, but the report seems pretty strong that there was a desire for the Fenway Sports Group for Kyle Dubas to be the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Is there a possibility that he says thanks, but no thanks? I mean, it would indicate, like, it, he had a press conference in which he said it was the Maple Leafs or nothing. So I guess, I mean, that would be some clue, but, like, is there any indication that that might be taking place? Not with me. Um, I did see a report in the last half hour from Mark Madden from 105.9, I think, The X in Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. a pretty well-connected guy in the Pittsburgh scene who was reporting that Kyle Dubas is closing in on a a contract with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That kind of goes against just about every single thing that I've heard. Hmm. Um, I seem to have some indication and not obviously to a point where I feel comfortable in reporting it, but there's been lots of smoke in the last 24 hours that Kyle Dubas has in fact turned down the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, But again, I don't feel comfortable reporting that. And it just seems like there's an indication that the Penguins and Fenway sports group have re-engaged with some other people that they were previously interviewing, which would lend to speculation that Kyle Dubas has turned them down. But again, nothing that I'm comfortable sharing in a, an official way. That's just sort of the, you know, vibes that I've been getting calls that I've been chasing uh, in the last 24 hours. That's super interesting, Frank. Now I, I guess we can play the game of like, why? And, and like I said, he, he said it was Leafs or nothing. So maybe that's why. And, and the family concerns, maybe that's, hey. He but he just... did go to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So he's open to the idea. You also laid out a, a nice little reason why someone might not want to do it. That there's some maybe some 
some tough decisions that have to be made there and some feelings that could be hurt and the path to returning to contention not exactly there and maybe like the, you're the face of like the end of Sidney Crosby's career and it's not so great like that's yeah, a possibility I don't think that's a concern I no? think it's how competitive could this team be mm. like if you're realistically looking at it for one that already missed the playoffs yeah you're thinking maybe two more years that you have a chance to win and even then you you got to move heaven and earth in order to make it happen and then you begin the teardown process which is going to be f- you know, five, seven, eight years plus. So you're looking at like a 10 year span of time where the Penguins aren't going to be a very competitive team. They're going to be the Blackhawks. Mm. Are you ready to sign up for that? I guess my question, and this has always been my question with Kyle Dubas has been, you don't just jump at the first job because it's the only one that's available. Mm. he's one of the very few people in the sport that's positioned to have the next opening come to him regardless of where or when it is. So why take the only job that's currently available? Like I don't, it's never made sense to me, the timeline and look, we're still waiting on the Sens ownership search. Like how, given that these two jobs are not within the same ballpark of each other in terms of attractiveness, Mm. How could you possibly give the pens an answer before you get an idea of what's going on from the sense? What what if it doesn't happen this off season? Like, do you, do you risk like you know people forgetting about you? It'd be hard to like. I don't one, think so. No, they like. It, it, but did people it, forget about Jeff Gordon? No, no, they and didn't. He wasn't nearly as well publicized as Kyle Dubas has been. Mm-hmm. No, it's a good point. Go down the list of all the other guys that have gotten, like, have people forgotten about Brad Tree Living? I know it's only been a few weeks, but, well, like, if yeah. he were to linger through this, if he were to not get this Leafs job yeah. and he were to then continue to be a free agent this year, is anyone going to forget about him? I know. No. There are, it's, it's a little bit different, though, right? Because I know he was technically fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs, but apparently had an extension, like, presented to him. So it's it's essentially like he's turned down two offers to be general managers in one off season. Like that doesn't happen very he was often. The wonder kind general manager <laughs> of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's, it's not possible to forget that. <laughs> I'll never forget him. I'll never forget those press conferences that we got a couple of weeks ago either. Um, Hey, anything. Like, I don't think he will either. For that matter. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're all being honest. I don't think his agent will either. Uh, speaking of which, a- anything, any update on that NHLPA investigation? Any sense of how that's going to go? No, I, I don't even know if it's a formal quote investigation. I know they were reviewing the matter. I think really what it comes down to, Ben, is that they're in a spot where they can't. Like Kyle Dubas isn't under their jurisdiction, even though he should have known that engaging with someone from a firm would be considered a conflict of interest, given Mm -hmm. that he was an agent himself. Mm -hmm. They're not in line to punish the agent himself, who's Chris Armstrong, if they wanted to. And so the only real blowback that could come of this situation is of the, you know, the Wasserman hockey team, which you know, represents Austin Matthews and and Connor McDavid and, and some of the NHL's biggest stars, to what end? Like, are you really going to slap Jeff Jackson on the wrist for Kyle Dubas engaging with Chris Armstrong from the same company? 
Well, like, I'm not even certain they have the grounds to do so. And I don't think anything nefarious has transpired, mm-hmm. but everyone that's involved, sh- you know, should have known that this would, would have been a, or become a thing. And the fact that enough agents were groveling over it made it a thing. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, yeah, because you know, who's a part of the NHLPA Austin Matthews. Like, is he, he's going to punish his own agent or his own agency over this thing seems unlikely, right? Doesn't make any sense. I just, it, it was a story because the NHLPA acknowledged that they're reviewing it. Mm. Had they said there's nothing to this or this isn't something that's under our purview, then that would have been different. Mm-hmm. But I think enough sort of formal complaints had been lodged with the PA that they had to consider and are looking into it. But that said, I just, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. I, uh, do you have any sense that there are uh, executives with similar representation that are like rethinking things? Um, well, they should. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just sorry. Wait, what? I want to be clear. What was your question? Like, I, so I, the, the were question... you asking about Kyle Dubis rethinking his representation? <laughs> well, no, but <laughs> you can speak to I, that. I thought, sorry, I thought that's what no, you were No, I meant other executives with, uh, well, I, I don't know how common it is for other executives to have, well, one, representation at all, and two, have... It's pretty common. Okay, to do, are there other executives with similar situations where their, their representatives work in an entity that also has... NHL player agents, and is that now going to be a thing that everybody's going to have to review and and those guys are going to have to find new representation or their agents are going to have to leave the agency? Yeah, I think it's sort of like um, everyone for the most part is pretty aware of what the regulations are Mm -hmm. and the people that are represented by someone um, are generally represented by someone that doesn't have any players as part of their agency. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there's a whole separate entity. It's just not as common in the NHL as it is in Major League Baseball or the NFL or NBA, where, like, it's a whole cottage industry. Like, it's a whole, like, you only represent coaches or you only represent managers or you do both, but you definitely don't dabble in in the player side of it because everyone knows that that's not, that's not okay. Well, So it just, it's not as big of a deal in hockey because it's, a lot for the longest time these guys just did their own deals mm-hmm. yeah and i and i would understand that's their whole job is negotiating deals but um now that you raised the 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 conversation about the representation that the kyle dubas got and the advice that he got i mean hey we're all speculating here but if if we believe the timeline that brendan shanahan laid out feels like maybe some bad advice there like that that does feel like Maybe somebody. I don't think. No, you don't. I, I, you would don't put look, any I, of that I, on the agent. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, but I'm not buying it. No, um, okay. I don't think. Like I think Chris Armstrong and Kyle Dubas are friends. I think Kyle Dubas has known for a long time where this was heading and the eventuality. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like he's going to be out of a job. I think he thought this is what I'm going to ask for. This is how I want to do the job. This is what I need to do the job. And if these circumstances aren't met, then I'm perfectly comfortable leaving and and going on my own way. Mm. I don't think he, for one second, thought that the Leafs were going to absolutely blow him up on the way out. Yeah. And I think that's part of his calculus was like, oh, this just isn't really what people do in hockey. 
And that part was a tactical error. Yes. And I do think that he had, um, like, look, the easiest way to frame this is, like, if you're going to try and go after the king, like, you better make sure you take him out. Mm. And if you don't, like, there's bound to be blowback on you, and you're not going to look good. And I don't think it's affected him in a material way, Mm. as evidenced by the fact that the Pittsburgh Penguins have been absolutely fawning over him. But, I, you know, there is, there's plenty of questions to ask about the approach. Did he overplay his hand or did mm-hmm. he know going in that this was, uh, I'm sure he did. He's able to game theory this out and understand that sometimes if you're not going to get what you want, like this is the end result. Mm-hmm. And, and at least he knew that he was doing it on his own terms. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. No, his own. So I don't think that's advice that came from his agent. I think it's him instructing his agent on how to play it. No, it's a good point. And, and the line is Omar from the wire. Come at the King best not miss. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. All right. Uh, so to the, the, the open job here in the city of Toronto that is yet to be filled, which might be filled what after job is that? Yeah. It's the general manager, the Toronto Maple Leafs, biggest job in sports. It's like everybody, you know, Everybody and their brother coming out to to to, to try and angle for it. Apparently, and they talked to Brian. I told you what the quote was. It was the money quote. What two weeks ago? What was that? This happened. It was I would give my right bleep for that. <laughs> right. Well, and I yeah, it was it was fun to talk to Brian Lawton last week. Uh, who said you know like you got to be willing to stare death in the face if that's your job. Come yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> it was great. The like the amount of 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 uh, um. I don't know. Just the 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 amount that those people someone someone else had referred someone else that's part of the process referred to this. They said, "quote the mar." I just looked it up in my messages. Yeah. "quote The market is a snake pit, and it'll take years <laughs> off of your life." But damn, it's the least. <laughs> yeah. yeah kinda, and I was like, "Really?" Kind of like, like that. That's like, come on. <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> It's really not that bad. It's not. It's, you know, again, like, yeah, you come from what lineage of, of uh, police officers and firefighters. It's not that, right? I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? I don't know. Are we talking about running a hockey team and earning millions of dollars? Or are we talking about digging ditches? No. Are we talking? I mean, is the comparable? I don't know if you're a succession guy, but like, is it CEO of, of Waystar? Like, what's 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 more stressful? Sounds yeah, well, there might be just as much knifing involved in the process. <laughs> and I did I did binge the end of the series yesterday. Oh, so good. Um it's really not that bad. Yeah. I no. really like and, and given you. what you're handed, like just the ability alone to be the the thought process, the challenge of being the guy that thinks that they could put the pieces together, or person, I should say that puts the pieces together that allows the Toronto Maple Leafs to win their first Stanley Cup since 1967. Mm-hmm. Is that not the most intoxicating thought possible? You, yeah. It's, and also, I mean, the previous guy got one playoff series victory in seven years, and they were ready to bring him back and give him a raise before he overplayed his hand. No, it's it's a good job. How is the bar that low? I, 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 just, I, I'm with I always you. go back to the same thing. <laughs> I know. I'm with you, man. All right. <laughs> that being all that being said, and us being on the very same page when it comes to that, 
Uh, Brad Tree Living, still the favorite in your mind. And secondarily, like, is it anything that we haven't heard anything out of St. Louis from, from the Blues as far as the Doug I thought Armstrong we thing? properly killed that already. Okay, so it's dead. It's dead, 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 not alive. It was never a thing. Like, I don't know why this became a thing. Mm, I don't know. I kind of want it to be a thing. That's why. Well, you might want it. That's kind of the point is, like, the Blues are like, yeah, we're good. We got our guy, and we've got golden handcuffs on Doug Armstrong. Mm-hmm. All right, so Brad Tree Living, according to reports, has had his interview or maybe yep. his first interview, perhaps the first of a of a couple. Like in your mind's eye, is he still the the betting favorite? I think he is. I think he's the front runner. Um, look, I think the Leafs, you know, I think they're in an intelligence gathering mission. That's what the, that's what Brendan Shanahan's doing right now. Yeah, like has he talked to Brendan Shanahan? Or sorry, has he talked to Brad Tree Living? Of course. Um, how many other people has he talked to formally, informally, on Zoom, in person? Um, I, you know, it's hard to separate fact from fiction. I, I think the list of people that he's spoken to is pretty long in general. Mm. But who is part of the next group? Who, you know, how long does this go on? I don't have an answer for you, mm-hmm. but. You know, it certainly seems to me that Brad Tree Living is right at the front of the line. Yeah, it, it would, I don't know, behoove this organization to get that done as quickly as possible. Obviously, some massive decisions upcoming. Before we let you go, I do want to talk about, you know, the story that you have up on dailyfaceoff.com, which was like, it's kind of mind-bending to me that only 13 goalies who have played in the expansion era National Hockey League have been elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, that seems like the, the the Hockey Hall of Fame is not representative of of what has happened over the last fifty plus years. That is nuts, man. Yeah, it, it's a mind blowing stat. As as my guy Paul Paduti has written, uh, he wrote the story. And if you haven't checked out his series yet, about um, you know a seven or eight part series about the Hockey Hall of Fame and the selection uh, process and and thoughts. You should because 13 goalies in the post-1967 era, there have been 15 Winter Olympics in that time span (laughs) and 16 goalie goals. That's stupid. The second one is stupid, yeah. (laughs) It's it's insane. So to think that the the most important position in the sport is so poorly represented in the hall, the only real thing that I can come up with is because of the disparity in um both eras in terms of scoring you know mm-hmm. you had the crazy run in the 80s and then the dead puck era in the 2000s that the hall of fame just hasn't been able to properly evaluate goalies and part of the reason for that is that statistics are just all over the place and paul has done some amazing work and like i seriously cannot encourage you highly enough to check out his Twitter handle and his own website too. This is not a plug for me and daily face off to put everyone on a level ice surface from every era that's ever played. Mm. And then to draw the line of, okay, here's what we know the standard to be. Here's who exceeds it and who's below it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work and he's done a great job. Wow. Yeah. I have to check that out. And so Curtis Joseph, the point of this is yeah. to bring it back to Toronto. He <laughs> says it's beyond time for, for him to be included. And he has him as the eighth best goalie essentially of, uh, of all time in the post 1967 era. Yeah. That, that kind of tracks as well. No, that makes a ton but of sense. But then I did see his list and I was like, Thomas Vokun. <laughs> <Seriously? laughs> 
I was like 12. Like what? Like that? I'm like you fucking oh, you lost me. There. Like, yeah. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you had me with Curtis Joseph. You lost me with Thomas Bocoon. Oh well. I'll check it out either way. Frank, uh, always great to chat. Thanks, man. Have a good one, Ben. You too, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for Daily Faceoff. Dot com and man we're in lockstep when it comes to this job it's it's a good job um it's i guess more stressful than being bill zito in in sunrise florida i i guess like yeah there's not as many media people there asking you questions but the idea that toronto is this this as he called it snake pit that takes years off your life that's i mean again in comparison to the places in the sport in which there's the least amount of anxiety. But compare it to other rabid markets in other sports, not even close. Try being the general manager of the New York Yankees. Try being the manager of Manchester United, not even close. All right, when we come back, we will uh, talk to a man who was celebrating in Boston yesterday as his client, Jimmy Butler... One Eastern Conference Finals MVP, Bernie Lee, is Jimmy Butler's agent. He will join me next. As the fan drive time continues, I'm Ben Ennis. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into the biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Annis. Text line open at 590-590. Get to your text a little later on in the program. Uh, Blue Jays home today for a little quick little three-game set against the Milwaukee Brewers before they go to uh, Queens to play the New York Mets. Weird little, tiny little homestand after the off day yesterday. We'll talk to Kevin Barker, all things Blue Jays, at the bottom of the hour. But after the off day yesterday, some media availability is already happening today, and one uh, very notable one. As I'm sure you're well aware, it was uh, it was large news yesterday when Blue Jays reliever Anthony Bass shared a video endorsing anti-LGBTQ boycotts of brands like Target and Bud Light. He, he shared this on his Instagram reel. Um, a lot of people noticed that uh, and took great offense, obviously. Um, we didn't hear anything directly from Bass yesterday. Obviously, the organization was aware and... Naturally, Anthony Bass did face the media hordes today. He did not take questions, but made a statement. And, and here's what Bass had to say. Okay, I'll make this quick. Um, I recognized yesterday uh, I made a post that was hurtful to the Pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. And I am truly sorry for that. Um, I just spoke with my teammates and shared with them my actions yesterday. I apologize with them, 
And as of right now, I'm using the Blue Jays resources to better educate myself, to make better decisions moving forward. Uh, the ballpark is for everybody. Um, we include all fans at the ballpark, and we, and we want to welcome everybody. That's all I have to say. Thank you. All right, there's Anthony Bass. Uh, not taking any questions, but saying the ballpark is for everybody and that he will better educate himself on the issue, and, and it's up to you to decide um, how you feel about that and how contrite you believe Anthony Bass is and whether you believe he believes what he said or not, and it's entirely up to you. What I will say about uh, this market in general is that I'm, I, I talked about the, the job of being general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs not being all that difficult when it comes to media pressure and hard questions and you know bars of success and yada, 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 it not quite being the snake pit that everybody makes it out to be. That's true. But what I will say about this market is that we don't put up with our sports figures or our celebrities infringing on our values. And we saw it when it came to the discussion around Ime Udoka and Ramona Shelburne saying it explicitly that part of the reason that was never going to work in Toronto is because the market wouldn't handle... There'd be too many questions asked of what exactly went down in Boston, specifically. And part of it is corporate ownership of all the sports teams in this city. Part of it is just the fan base. That, that people are very rightly strident in their beliefs. And that they expect a level of accountability. It's just the truth. It's been proven time and time again. So maybe in another market, this Anthony Bass story, one, goes under the radar, two, does not necessitate a statement. Not the case here. Obviously had to say something, and that's what he said. Take it or leave it. All right. Um, the Miami Heat are into the NBA Finals. They trailed the Chicago Bulls in the second half of a play-in game. Let's talk to a Bernie Lee, CEO of Thread Sports Management, who represent Eastern Conference Finals MVP Jimmy Butler, among some of their other notable clients. Uh, the Heat become the second eight seed to make the NBA Finals, joining the 1999 New York Knicks after a Game 7 victory in Boston yesterday. Bernie, how you feeling? Thank you so much. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm just in the airport here in Boston, trying to make my way to uh, make my way to Denver. But no, definitely pretty exciting time. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, I, I imagine, had to book your flight to Denver, unlike the team charter, who apparently already booked their their flight to Denver. Can you tell if, tell us if that was a, a true story that we saw online that that the Miami Heat did not have plans to go back to Miami, that their book, their flight was booked directly to the, the site of the finals game one later this week? Uh, I don't know, like, if I should pull back the curtain and, and ruin a great story in an urban myth here, but what the NBA makes people do is they book, you know, multiple kind of, um, multiple kind of uh, uh, travel itineraries so nobody kind of gets stuck. So if they would have had it, I understand that, Hey, we have to be in Denver probably Wednesday for like press conferences and things like that. Uh, and there's a media day, like an open practice where the guy that works with Jimmy Kimmel is going to like, you know, ask Jimmy weird questions and all that kind of stuff. But um, no, so they would have had one flight that's booked 
you know, from Boston to Denver and probably had another one that everybody omitted that would have been going back. But in the same respect, I'm pretty sure Boston had one as well because the NBA um, NBA makes you do, do that, you know, just to have contingencies in place. But, no, it's, it's a really awesome story. I will tell you that the last thing that um, – um, Spolstra, Eric Spolstra said to us as we left the arena uh, after game six was to uh, make sure that we both packed for a week to go to Denver. So they did have that mental plan in place. But, um, yeah, I think it's uh, a little bit of the uh, the over pre-planning sometimes the NBA does has turned into a really good headline. So let's just leave it at that. All right, let's let's leave it at that. I mean, talking about planning, though, your your client, Jimmy Butler, I mean, had the three at the end of Game Seven last year. I mean, tell me what what happened in in the interim in the in the calendar year, basically separating two Game Sevens of an Eastern Conference Final against the same team, one going one way and this one going the a very different way uh, for his team. I mean, not not really that much. It's been a pretty, you know, uh, uneventful year. I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to be funny, but no, you know, it, it's interesting. I've worked with Jimmy for about nine years now, and the thing that I've realized with him is, um, if you get him to do the same thing multiple times, at some point he figures it out. It's almost like a puzzle or a game or anything like that. Like you might get him on a one-off, but over the course of time, you know, his ability to kind of figure out the puzzle is gonna you know, it's going to shine through. And I remember last year uh, when Boston beat them at home, um, we went, we did his media. Uh, we were in the arena pretty late. And when we went to go leave, the last person that we ran into um, happened to be Pat Riley. And he happened to be right by the door. We had to walk through to go to the parking lot. And when Pat um, saw Jimmy, you know, he said some encouraging things. And like, Jimmy just kind of stopped and he was like, look, listen, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to get us back to, um, I'm going to get us back here next year and we're going to, we'll finish it. And he's like, I promise you, you know, I, I promise you I'll, I'll do that. Now, I don't think Jimmy was necessarily, you know, Nostradamus. Like, <laughs> I don't know if he thought he met the exact same team in the exact same set of circumstances, but I do think that he, you know, meant advancing and taking one step more than what it is that they did. But, there's so many things in life and sports. It's so interesting how many um, times, you know, you see the same kind of um, thing come up repeatedly. And you can see this kind of be on a little bit of a crash course. So down to even, like, the plan. You know, if Miami wins the plan, then they end up playing, you know, Boston in the first round. And it's probably not as um, probably not as enjoyable of a, of a story, right? So for this to come full circle um, and to be able to do this, obviously, it's, you know, it's a really – really satisfying um, satisfying thing I think for everybody involved yeah I, I think we've all learned not to doubt uh, playoff Jimmy even after there there was you know what three games that weren't quite playoff Jimmy like um, getting it done in the end and and you, you talk about the the uneventful uh, regular season for the heat I mean so so injury riddled and you mentioned that playing game how about trailing the the Bulls in the, in the second half of that play-in game all the way to the NBA Finals. Now, there were a couple of play-in teams into the conference uh, finals. As, of course, the Lakers get swept by the Nuggets in the Western Finals. Does, does, does that say something about the parity that exists in the NBA right now? What, what do you make of the fact that, yeah, okay, it's it's the Heat as uh, just the second eight seed ever, ever into an NBA Finals, but there's, you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's that dominant force, obviously, in the NBA these days. So the truth about the NBA is, and I think it's what actually makes the regular season really compelling, 
the NBA, by and large, is a five points or less league. You know, the majority of teams, the majority of games are defined, if you look at point differentials, it's defined by, um, you know, five points or less. So plus five, um, a team that, that has a point differential that's plus five typically wins about 50, 50 games a season, right? Um, and majority of the teams fall somewhere within that range. So the truth is in the regular season, what you're talking about are games that are by and large defined by, you know, two to three possessions um, over the course of an 82-game season. So it's not like a huge amount of separation. And the truth is, like, when you get into the playoffs, there's much more kind of, you know, refined um, both, like, focus, game planning, effort. Um, You have, you know, like, we fly into – Boston play these games, you get there probably, you know, 36 hours before the game is to be played. You have nothing to do but to think about, you know, this game 36 hours from uh, from then. Like, with Jimmy, I don't know if you guys watched, um, you know, The Last Dance, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, not comparing Jimmy to, you know, everybody's hero, mm-hmm. um, but um, he has kind of reached, a, you know, a level of um, notoriety where it's, it's difficult to do anything, right? So, you end up sitting in a hotel suite, um, staring at each other and thinking about nothing more than this thing you have to do 36 hours from then, you know? So there's like a, there's a high degree of focus. And I would say that um, to, to say that there's a huge difference between a team that, let's say, in the regular season won 41 games versus a team that won, you know, 51 games or 49 games, um, there isn't, you know, the truth is, um, you know, there's, I could show you, you know, in Miami season for sure, probably, you know, somewhere in the area of like seven to 10 games where you look back at it and you're like, there's no way they probably should have lost that game, you know, and sometimes, you know, the reverse is true as well. Now Miami is a little bit of an anomaly because um, by the end of the season, they did have a negative point differential, which I yeah. don't think any team with a negative point differential has <laughs> ever made the finals, but you know, God bless Jimmy. That's why, that's why they, uh, that's why we love him. <laughs> yeah, and, and Jimmy was a first-round pick, but just barely, right? Last pick of the first round. Caleb Martin undrafted, um, and he was, boy, neck and neck for, for uh, him and, and Jimmy as far as best players throughout the, the course of this series. It's just an absolute offensive force by, by the end of it. Um, and you mentioned how how the, the regular season went with the negative point differential, the eight seed trailing in, in the play-in uh, tournament game. Uh, th- there's this phrase, heat culture, right? And Eric Spolstra, I guess, is is the face of that as well. Uh, can, can you tell me what that means and, like, how much a part of the story is is that, that heat culture thing? So I will tell you that um, what that heat culture actually is, it's really more about who they are versus who the players are. And what that means is once you identify and you establish, like, look, it's the way that we're going to um, – these are, you know, the tenants that are important to us of players that we bring in here and how we're going to conduct ourselves and how we're going to work on a day-to-day basis. If you stay consistent with that, it becomes very easy both to identify people that fit it, but probably more importantly in reference to the NBA, it helps you really identify people that don't. And I think some of the times in the NBA um, where teams are going to help themselves is if you can figure out your mistake before anybody else knows it, you're going to be at an advantage. And what the Heat is really able to do, I think, is because they have such a clear way of they're going to conduct themselves on a day-to-day basis that doesn't change year by year. You know, it doesn't change every three, four years when they get a new coach or whatever it is. Um, it's just, it's so clear. You know, it's, it's so, it, it, it's somebody that comes in that doesn't, 
fall in line with what everybody else does. You see it right away, and it's, it's clear as day. You know, and I think it helps them to be very consistent, but at the same time, not necessarily spin the wheels in the way that they make decisions. You know, and like somebody like Caleb, he comes in and he works out. Um, you know, they end up signing him to a two-way, and it takes, you know, a week of observing him to realize, like, this is one of our guys. You know, and I would say, like, the thing that I realized with Caleb early on is, like, Jimmy's a pretty hard-working guy. He does a bunch of extra work. Every time we would go into the facility after hours, if Jimmy would be shooting on one basket, if you looked down at the other end, um, you'd see Caleb, you know, like pretty much every single time. And you see him put the work in and, you know, to be a teammate of Jimmy's is if you can show consistency both in how you carry yourself and how you work, he's going to empower you to be, you know, to to execute that work that you're doing. You know, he's a person that, doesn't necessarily show his greatness only by scoring the basketball. He really understands the game, tries to empower other people to play well. So you put the work in, he's going to be a guy that you want to play with because you can have, you know, opportunities to show it, obviously. Uh, I wish you could have wagered on whether or not Jimmy would touch the Eastern Conference uh, Championship trophy or not because I would have just emptied my bank account on him not touching it. Of course, <laughs> didn't touch it. Like, bam, even, like, offering it up to him. Like, obviously, he was never going to touch it, right? Uh, so I would tell you if I had the ability to do that, I would probably be retired today in terms of being able to wager on it. Um, but no, it, it's interesting. Um, Jimmy's like very aware of things, right? So I'm from Toronto, I'm Canadian, you know, and I've always joked with him about talking culture and things like that. And, um, I showed him, um, I, I showed him something on, you know, social media and talked about how the, the hockey, and I know a little bit of it, but I, I didn't know much until I saw it the hockey superstition thing of not touching the conference final trophy. So to be totally honest with you, I, you know, I think you kind of sunk in a little bit and we looked at it from the standpoint of uh, not necessarily wanting to do that, but also he's been very resolute over the course of the week as we spoke. You know, obviously goal number one has to be accomplished to get to goal number two, um, but goal number two is the one, the one that, that kind of matters. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably where that came from. Yeah, again, not, not a surprise. And, yeah, not, not a surprise that, yeah, you've alerted him to hockey culture and that he would take uh, that little piece of information from it. So this will be his second finals. First one was in the bubble, and, and um, basically it was Jimmy by himself by that point. Uh, the Heat were so banged up, and, and, and Jimmy had, you know, had to carry such a, an incredible load. It was incredible that that series got to six games. But, but how does that help him going into his second finals that he's been there? Obviously it was like such a weird circumstance to be playing with no fans and, and in a finals, but you know, legacy's on the line. He's been there. He's been in these moments. I mean, playoff Jimmy very much alive and well, what is, what is having that experience in his back pocket mean? I think for anybody, you know, experience obviously is the greatest teacher. And I think for him, having the experience and also, you know, the entire team, having the experience of being that close to an ultimate goal, maybe not necessarily a goal that was outwardly expected by anybody, you know, kind of outside of the group. Um, you go through the experience, you try and attain it in their instance. I, th- I think they lost in six games and, you know, that feeling of getting that close to something uh, and not getting it, it sits with you. You know, I would say definitely a sat with him for the last couple of years in, in Germany. And I think the later you get in your career, and once, you know, you're more established and your contracts are what your contracts are, that last piece that's there, you know, and that, that winning piece, that legacy piece, that, that thing that you, you know, you really are driving for. And to be this close to it, you understand how few and far these opportunities are, you know. And I think for him, 
uh, and the entire group is they look at it, you know, to be this close to it. You don't, you don't know until you know. So I, I do think it would be an advantage for them for sure. Um, but it's definitely something that I think has driven everybody involved for the last couple of years. Well, uh, Bernie, it was it was a thrilling series. It, it was a historic series, uh, probably not for the reasons people expected it to be, but uh, now we got ourselves a, a pretty interesting final as, as well, starting up uh, later this week in Denver. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. I look forward to uh, speaking to you when, once it gets done. Hopefully it'll be, uh, be, be a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe you'll be drenched, uh, drenched in, in champagne by then. Fingers crossed. Let's hope so. Yeah, let's hope so, either way. Yeah. <laughs> See you, Bernie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bernie Lee, CEO of Thread Sports Management, who represents Jimmy Butler. Yeah, either way. <laughs> I like that. Win or lose, we booze. Heard that expression more than a couple of times. Um, an incredible story in Miami after trailing in the play-in game at halftime or deep into the second half against the Chicago Bulls, finding themselves all the way in the NBA finals. And yeah, they're the heavy underdog against a team that looks a lot like the one we expected when you talk about a potential three-time MVP and you know running away, at least record-wise, with the, the Western Conference. But there were some, I think, understandable doubts about them considering the way they finished the regular season. They look like a juggernaut. Just totally disposing of one of the greatest players of all time, albeit in the twilight of his career in LeBron James, in four straight. And Nikola Jokic looking full value for being maybe the best player in the sport right now. I Not counting out playoff Jimmy, though. All right, before we take the break, we talk to our pal, your pal as well, Kevin Barker. Let's uh, go to the text line again, open at 590-590. This uh, text in regard to Nick Nurse taking the Philadelphia 76ers job. Does this make Philly officially the whiniest team in the league? That's from Tim in Hamilton. That's not very nice. But yeah, the, Nick Nurse has uh, been known from time to time to disagree with the officials. I don't know if I would necessarily call Joel Embiid a whiner. He's definitely demonstrative. I would say that he really, really wanted that first MVP award that he won this season and good on him. He deserved it and, and and won it fair and squared, despite the fact that Nikola Jokic has obviously transferred those skills more effectively into the postseason. Here's what I would say about the, the Joel Embiid-Nick Nurse relationship, though. Who changes? Nick Nurse or Joel Embiid? Because Joel Embiid played a career high in minutes per game last year, averaging 34, more than 34 minutes per game. That's three minutes fewer than Pascal Siak. I mean, I, they're different dudes, and yeah, that's part of the package with Joel Embiid is that you have to manage him throughout the course of a regular season. I can't win alone. Yeah, you, well, that and I mean that's secondarily the the, the question that Nick Nurse is going to have what, what happens with uh, James Harden, but um, this is not outside of the Kawhi Leonard where the the responsibility was basically taken out of his hands this is not a guy that's generally managed even stars throughout the course of the regular season Fred Van Vliet Pascal Siakam they're asked to play every single freaking minute for this Raptors team that's part of the reason there was a disagreement at the very top when it came to Masai Ujiri and his head coach we'll see how many minutes a game Joel Embiid is playing this upcoming season um more basketball. Hey, guys, I want to start with the Heat and Six, okay? Uh, but let's be honest. The Raptors will find a development 
first coach for Scotty. Yes, they will want to win, but building Scotty will be a bigger duty than keeping Pascal and crew in the top of the East. I mean, if, if it's as simple as making a head coaching decision, that's either wins and losses or taking Scotty Barnes to the next level and into that all-star superstar place. Like, obviously it's the second. I think ideally you'd want somebody who can do both. Whoever that is, if that person exists. I, th- I tend to think, though, that generally it's more on Scotty Barnes. And, like, right now should be the Scotty Barnes time. Although he was sharing some videos of, and, and pictures of him on vacation. You're allowed to go on vacation. But this is and should be an offseason dedicated to, to getting himself in the best shape possible for what is a huge year for him after coming so hard out of the gates and winning rookie of the year to have a not a regression of development, but not one that was linear in an upward mode. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that was a wake-up call for the, the Raptors' fourth overall selection from a couple of years ago. Um, Jay in Wasaga Beach says, so the Leafs are close to signing the GM who is responsible for maybe the worst trade in recent history. Well, that's ex- a little extreme, but it is going to be quite the narrative if the Maple Leafs hire Brad Tree Living that he inadvertently created one a Stanley Cup finalist, but maybe a Stanley Cup champion. He was backed into a corner, right? Like it, he had to trade Matthew Kachuk, no question about it. And I know we do this thing where we judge the results, and I guess it's all right, but who didn't think that that was making chicken salad out of the other thing that comes out of the chicken at the time where you were dealt this bad hand, you had a depreciating asset, and you were able to get a 100-point player. Now, Jonathan Huberto, not that 100-point player this season. Mackenzie Wieger, part of that deal as well. Those guys underperformed, no question. That being said, the guy he traded away winning the Conn Smythe and then turning that experience into being the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, not generally a script uh, I would have envisioned for this organization. Uh, and Craig from Cambridge says, uh, I want to know your thoughts about trading Austin Matthews to Arizona for Clayton Keller, Lawson Krause, and I, I don't know. He obviously got an autocorrect there at the end. But uh, the general sentiment is Austin Matthews to the Arizona Coyotes, which is, of course, the natural thought process when you're talking about, again, making chicken salad out of something if, in fact, you do not believe you are capable of re-signing the once 60-goal score before his no-trade clause kicks in in the final year of his contract on July 1st, which I, like, be quite a bold move to, in a span of a month, become general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs and then trade away the man who had the single greatest goal-scoring season in franchise history, but not one that I can totally discount. Because if he shows no indication or willingness to re-sign and not re-sign for, like, the... 20% of the cap at which he could conceivably ask for if he's not interested at all and wants to play it out to the end. I don't know if you have much of a choice, but that being said, you got to get a centerman in the deal and a a couple of high scoring wingers. Great. Under reasonable term. That's fine. I mean, throwing a Logan Cooley, throwing some more first round picks. Yeah. Anyways, we'll have plenty of time for, that discussion uh, as the weeks go on. All right, when we come back, though, 
It's the Blue Jays at home where home runs have been hard to come by. In fact, impossible for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Has not hit a big fly at the redesigned Rogers Center. Does his first come tonight? We'll talk to Kevin Barker of Blair and Barker next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive Time Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I am Ben Ennis. And Oakdale Golf and Country Club getting set to host the best golfers in the world. At this year's RBC Canadian Open, June 6th through the 11th, we have tickets to give away all week. To enter, all you have to do is tune in to this week's episode of The Fan Drive Time. Listen for the code word. And then you text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is Canadian Open. Text Canadian Open to 590-590 right now for your chance to win. Also, back this year is the RBC Music Concert Series featuring Black Eyed Peas and Alanis Morissette. If you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets by visiting rbccanadianopen.ca. Kevin Barker in studio. studio. He of Blair and Barker. Hey, buddy. How are you? Living a dream. Yeah. We're going to be doing the the Blair and Barker show together. Counting the days. So, so it's still like I don't get a, a like a just a name change for a couple of days when I when I you know what do you mean yeah you know, Ben and Barker or like Anderson Barker call for it those whatever couple you want to call it I guess yeah <laughs> okay. you're, you're leading it all right call it what you want to call it <laughs> all right all right man uh, Blue Jays back in action after that uh, well deserved off day took two out of three from a division leader uh, don't give me that look they took two out of three from a team at the top of their division oh, they're getting another one. I know. Three games above 500. <laughs> it's hilarious, really, because, yeah, the, the Blue Jays, have, of course, play in the toughest division in all of baseball, and uh, other teams don't, and the teams that don't, like, yeah, they, 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 they're able to, you know, have similar, if not the exact same records or worse, and be at the are, top of their division. Are you making excuses for the Blue Jays? I'm not. No, well, honestly. It sounds like you're trying. No, I'm just saying that the perception would be different, one, if, yeah. Everybody in the division. If they could be three games above 500 in first place? Y- yeah. Well, obviously. Because, like, there's there's a lot about this team that's not that different from the start last year, right? Like, offensively, like, the numbers stack them up the side Orioles by side. The a lot better. You sure are. That would help. And now they got Aaron Hicks. Did you see Aaron Hicks signed a minor league deal? And, yeah, and why not? Cedric why not? Mullins is put on the IL. Makes perfect sense. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people can't play in New York. That, that for me, is what that's all about. Okay. and uh, Okay, that would be an interesting scenario. Him, you know. I'm not saying he's going to get a ball tomorrow, rake or, or hit 500, but yeah, okay. you would think he might be a little bit better. Couldn't be worse, honestly. No. All right. No, there's real issues with this team. No question. In your mind. Like, I, I know you guys are day-to-day, like big picture. <laughs> what is the biggest issue with this Blue Jays team at the moment? Uh... I mean, there's there's quite a few. They 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 don't they I mean, don't have a, they don't have an eighth inning guy. They don't have a cleanup hitter. Uh, Alec Manoa hasn't been Alec Manoa all season. Yeah, uh, you're not going to pick one. You're just going to rattle off all the, all the problems. There's, there's multiple reasons why they're in last place. 
Like there's there's not one reason. No. There's multiple reasons. So it's it's not you just can't come in here and say if if they fix this problem, mm-hmm. Blatty, that would help a little bit. He's the one guy, right? It's uh, you know yeah. Yeah, Chapman is sort of the other guy, but you sort of expected Chapman to, you know, have a good month and 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 hit 200 the next month. Like you sort of, that's not surprising. If I told you he was going to get off to a hot start, you know, he created a whole new lower half and yeah. it's just working and everything's coming off the barrel the way it's supposed to be. And he's going to make $200 million, not with the Blue Jays next year, but no. somebody's going to pay him that. Yes. And then all of a sudden the next month, he'll hit under 200. Would, it, would that shock you? Absolutely not, right? No. That's sort of Matt Chapman. Yeah, he's going to play... Good enough defense. He'll he'll hit occasionally. He'll hit a bunch of home runs. He'll strike out a bunch. Like that's that's not surprising. The Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah, he's had a okay start, but no. it's just not one of those starts where you're you know you're saying okay, I'll I'll carry this team for a week. He, he just hasn't been there yet. No, he hasn't. And the pro- the approach seemingly has changed. And Chris Black with a nice little Twitter thread. Uh, the mm. Blue Jays. What did he producer. say? I'm not on Twitter. I. Uh, you're not? Oh, yeah, I guess Absolutely you're not. No, you're not. on Instagram. You're, I saw you watering your, your posies the other day. Yeah. yeah you got a nice well, little garden. Yeah, life's changed for me. <laughs> <laughs> it truly has. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was on Twitter t- talking about, hey, you, you removed the Luke Rayleigh Grand Slam, which, hey, he, he hit it. Well done. He, he hit a, a, a home run against a guy. It's not his fault. He's facing no, 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 no. But just take that out. Player, no, take that out. And the last fifteen days, fifteen game stretch is the worst of his entire career. Yeah, okay, you could argue that. They had a team meeting, probably pointing the finger at Blatty. Like they didn't actually point the finger in the room. Yeah, but a lot of it was directed towards him. I'm assuming. You know, you need some guys to to do what they were supposed to do. You know, Dalton Varsho was expected to do more. Dalton Varsho leading the season hitting cleanups, not his fault. That's the Blue Jays organization's fault. Like, he should never been doing that. Like, that was never, when when we were in spring training and we were talking about who's going to hit cleanup, it sounded like it was going to be Brandon Belt, no matter if he yeah. played however many well, games the or lineups had indicated however many that too. Yeah, it's not saying that, that Dalton Varsho in July wouldn't be the cleanup hitter, but to start the season and, and hitting behind the three guys he was going to be hitting behind and changing his lower half and trying to, you know, be the American League East cleanup hitter instead of not ever hitting cleanup with the, with the Diamondbacks, and all yeah. of a sudden you expect him to come here and sort of do things that right now he's just not in my mind capable of doing it's a little unfair so yeah there's there's some things that'll make you scratch your head a little bit but it sort of comes back to the guy hitting third right is you know can he get off to a to a better start to to you know his home season you could almost say his home season starts tonight if you're a jays fan (laughs) and you want to light some candles Mm-hmm. Light some candles about them first couple of bats him hitting homer. <laughs> yeah. Like that that would be best case scenario. You don't want to go into June without your big uh bat have, having not hit a home run at home this season. Yeah, I think it's just more about his approach, the 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 way his outs look, the way he looks after he makes an out when his outs go where they're not supposed to be going. That all adds up to not hitting home runs at home and and you know just not being the guy that we all thought he could be. that That's sort of the thing. And then Bo getting off to the start he's gotten off to is not helping Vladdy whatsoever. Really? Because he's standing on the on-deck circle oh, going, I man, I, 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 I want to be, be like him. I want to be like him. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a human. 
Like he, you know, and everybody's saying how good Vladdy is and Vladdy can do these things offensively. And, you know, he's an aircraft carrier and he's supposed to help to carry this team to a World Series. And then he sees his buddy hitting in front of him who can hit everything from the hairline to the toe. <laughs> yeah. And then you go up and you try and do that, and Vladdy can't do that. I mean, let's let's face it. Like, it has to be in a certain area because of everything that goes on before he makes contact with the baseball that right now, you know, chasing a ball middle in, a little in off the plate, it's not the best thing for Vladdy. So, yeah, it's... But it's changed, right? Accumulation like, of a bunch of things for me. I, okay, so the home runs didn't come early, but the approach was pretty good, I, I think, in April. I don't know. Tell me if you disagree. But like it, and and you know the exit velocity and the launch angle. Do you and, care about that? No, I okay, care about so why what do you, you bring it up because it's it's like indicating to me that maybe a breakout is coming, and it it like the results came a little bit for Vlad early in the season, but not to the degree at which you would have expected considering the approach that he put into his at-bats early on. See, and then, I'm, Okay, I'm, so, but my question to you is, like, does he look at the results not coming, like not hitting 20 home runs in April and saying, well, screw this, I'm going to throw that that approach uh, away and, and go back to just see ball, hit ball? If you were Vladdy and every every radio station that he turns on on his way to there's only the field. one you should yeah absolutely and what we talk about a lot is him yeah. why is he not doing what we expect him to be doing and then he hears you say well you know you look at the stats and then and you're not hitting 20 homers and what do you think he's saying to himself like he's a human being he wants to help carry this team they're in last place and they're in last place a lot of the reason because he hasn't gotten hot and, yeah. and help carry the team for a week. Like, let's be honest. There, there, there's no sugarcoating it. You just said he, it. It's the number one problem he with this team. No, you answered the question for, finally. For me, they got other problems. They need a cleanup hitter. <laughs> they need an eighth inning guy. Like, they got some, you know, they need Alec Manoa to do something. Yeah. Like, he, it's enough. Like, but but, so you, but you're, it's, a, it's a great point. It's one that I've made as well. Like over the that that eleven game scr uh, stretch against American League East opponents, it, where they you know they had more problems than just the offense, but by and large it was couldn't score more than three runs a game. If they had Vlad doing Vlad things even a couple of times over that stretch in individually winning games for you. Again, we're talking about the perception and and the record being a lot different than it actually is. The, now, the question now becomes like. How do you get back to that guy? Like, how how do you how do you uncover that guy again? Like, is it a mechanical thing? I, I talk about the approach. I hear Not for me. you you talk about the approach on your All show the time. five to seven every day. How do you get back to that? Swing at a good pitch. Swing at your pitch. Like, it's not mechanical. He, he's he been around long enough to, you know, not say out loud that he's trying too hard or hear, hear his manager say I he's trying too hard to help the team. Oh, you've been around long enough. I, I tried hard when I played mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be in the minor leagues. Yeah. But Vlad, Vladdy's not me. Vladdy's a better offensive player than I was. Now it's time for him to go up and stop chasing the OO with a runner on second base down a run in the eighth inning, chasing the OO fastball six inches in off the plate enough of that like it's not mechanical with him like i you know sometimes he'll leak with the front side and and the bat the barrel drags and that's why you see him trying to lean back and that's when he hits the ground ball to third or shortstop that's because of what he's swinging at mm. if he got his pitch laid off of that pitch forced the ball a little away from him so he could get his arms extended a little bit better get to the bigger finish you know, have the finish that he wants to have then because he has bat speed and hand-eye coordination and all those things that we dream about being an offensive player at the, at the big league level on a contending team, he would have the results that he wants to have. Until he does that, we'll continue to have this conversation of, you know, why why is he just having a, eh, 
Mm. You know, year that everybody else could have. Why mm. is he not having an Aaron Judge year? Mm-hmm. That's what that's what the Blue Jays need him to have yeah. is an Aaron Judge year. But he's not having that. So, yeah. Well, I mean, and the the further we get away from twenty twenty one, the more we the the more we see Flatty at the major league level. I will just speak for myself. The less I I believe that that's in him, that he's capable of of. of so the, you're saying it's minor league fields he played in? Well, he did, mm-hmm. and I know like it doesn't make sense necessarily because the dimensions aren't all that different. But look at the way Dunedin and Buffalo played. Yeah, I think he said 86 homers in a big league park. Yeah, he said 112. I think in his career, 26 of those. 21 were. in that season in 2021 yeah. in, in Dunedin and that's Buffalo. A, that's a few homers. That that is, and like percentage wise, it's a huge percentage. Yeah, it's of, the it's the ball the other way, right? It's that one that he would hit that to right field or right center or yeah. down the right field line. That is a home run in those minor league parks. That in the big leagues, you have to change approaches. You have to be a little quicker because mm-hmm. the ball's not carrying as much. Mm-hmm. You know, to those fields because the fields are bigger. Now, obviously, the Rogers Center they moved the fences in, and but the ball's you, not carrying that like the fences have been moved in. So. Yeah, no, the, the like early returns on New Rogers Center are very pitcher friendly. Yeah, and, and interesting maybe, because of the weather now. Yeah. It's warmer. The roof's going to be open. See how the ball travels a little bit better. Vladdy's a, you know, he's he's not for me a guy that can go dead right field all the time. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, he has to have a lot of things go right, like the finish, the backspin. You know, the the pitch, the area that he swings at the pitch, all has to be there for him to hit a home run to right field. But the pull, you know, you have to have a little bit better approach. You got to, you know, change your eyesight, get the barrel out in front of the plate a little bit more. Like some, a lot of things have to go right. This is a big series for him. Like it's, you know, he's not facing a good, the the, the Brewers are not a real good team. Like they're an okay team. They're a first place team in a bad division. Like, mm. you know, the National League is, yeah. it's not real good. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's not lie about it. No. Those teams, if they were in the American League, <laughs> They wouldn't be real good. So, but that's not the Brewers' fault. That's not no. the Twins. You know, the, the you can even throw the Twins in there. Who the American League? It's not their fault that they're not in the American League East. Or should we go to mm-hmm. a balanced schedule? By the way, like I brought this up last week, the idea that hey, it's more balanced, but you still play teams in your division thirteen times instead of nineteen. How about get rid of all of it? Make it. And why do we even need leagues too? Now that we have universal DH, how about just throw everybody into the hopper and like mm-hmm. you have schedule? You can't play everybody the exact same amount of times. I don't think that would work out but like why not just do one through uh one through 12 i guess so you want to eliminate the fan bases that are miserable in the american league east that are like the red Sox or the blue jays or you know you could even throw the yankees in there i just wanted to be fair well life's not fair well, I know that. Like that's that's the but way it is. But wouldn't it be right? great Play if it better. was? You don't like it. Wouldn't it be great if, like, you don't want life to be fair? It is true that life isn't fair. <laughs> but wouldn't? Not. But if you could press a button and life was fair, wouldn't well, you want that? I, I absolutely. But that's not the way <laughs> life works. Yeah, but we can we can physically alter baseball. It's becoming more fair, right? Wouldn't you say that? So you so you would just want to throw everybody in a hat and pick a, a team out, and that's who you're playing that day. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not and, daily. And, 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 and the best schedule is set to the by- playoffs. <laughs> That's, that's basically what you said. <laughs> that's not. I said, you know, the schedule is still set. It's not like, hey, you get on a plane, everybody gets blindfolded, and then huh. you show up so, yeah. at a ballpark, and you're not you're not sure where you're playing day to day. But I'm saying, just make a balanced schedule. Wouldn't wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be more fair? Okay, let's just keep 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 the leagues. All right. So just get rid of the divisions, and we do the one only, through. The only reason you're saying this yeah, is because the six. Jays are in the American League East. That's I, the only reason. I, I suppose why, why you're saying this. 
I, I guess so. But yeah, they've all yeah. I, I guess. But so what? That's where I. That's the the baseball team that I watch plays in the American yeah, League. Yeah. See, East. I see. I think there's something to you. When you're in the American League East and you're one of those teams and you're facing now the Orioles and the Rays who do everything right, now they're stealing bases like crazy. Yeah. You know, that only bodes not so well for teams that are going to face them in, in the playoffs because now they got a couple of ways to beat you. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler Glasnow's back, which is, you know, again, it's just a, I don't even know where they get all these people, but no. it's something special. It shows you where you're at as an organization, right? Yeah, the, behind. The, the quality of depth that the Blue Jays have, you know, knock on wood that something that would ever happen to, you know, a couple of their really good starters yeah. for the Blue Jays. No, I, that, that they, is they, shocking. They, absolutely. So, yeah, it's – this sort of shows you, right, that you have to be consistently good at all facets of the game from the from the gate. Like, it's when the season starts, if you got a little hiccup, you're in fourth place. Like, yeah. it's – that's just sort of what the being in the American League is all about and – the Blue, the Blue Jays now know that they can't go on a five or six game losing streak because if they do, you know, now you're talking about trading Matt Chapman and, and adjusting some wow. things and, you know, you yeah. laugh, but no, I know well, you're right. The, I know the, the, I, they're not bringing him back next year. I, I'm so, with so, you hundred percent. So I why would say, you trade him? No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. If they're, they, yeah. If they're in a similar position, you got in, nobody in, else to trade when we're talking about the postseason. Yeah. Well, Acquiring talent at the deadline is going to be another question because, like, like you said, that there's, there's no depth right now if somebody gets hurt. I mean, they got a 26-man roster with guys that can't play, right? Like, yeah, there's, there's just nobody <laughs> below the major league level that's ready to play. Um, yeah, if they're out of the playoffs approaching the deadline, that's a conversation to be had. But also, like, I do want to keep the perspective of the Blue Jays only being three games over 500 in July last year. Like, fired the manager, lost four straight to the Mariners, were out of the playoffs then, too. Turned around 192 games, right? Like, it is a, it is a season that lasts forever. But as far as, like, real right. problems, like, we, got, we can argue about the, whether the offense is good enough. Well, okay, let's look at it this way. You got to figure the Yankees are going to get healthier. Yep. The Orioles are going to actually do something at the trade deadline and probably get a couple of more starters. Yeah. They're going to get better. No, I know. The, the Rays are, you know, they get healthier. Yeah. They're going to be one of the better teams, if not the best team in the American League. So you're looking at that right there. How how do you make up? Basically, you got to think to yourself, forget about the division. You got to think about winning 95 games. That's 67 more wins. Yeah. If you think you can do that, <laughs> no matter from now until the trade deadline, no matter what your record is, if you think you can win 67 more, that's just me. I, I think because of the three teams that are in front of you, the Rangers are better, the Astros are going to be whatever, Seattle Mariners you think are not going to stink all year. They're going to make a decent run at this thing because of the division they play in. And, you know, so it's the Twinkies are going to be there. The the White Sox maybe will, I don't know, might make a decent run at it because of the division they're playing in and, and yeah. the Guardians stink. So it's... You got some teams that might make some moves. It might take 95 wins. Ask yourself, be realistic. You think you can win 95 games? When, what is that, 67 and 42 or something? You, nice think, you, can go, you think That's a lot. Yeah. That's no, a lot of wins. It, it is. There's talent on this team. They got a pretty good number one starter. They got a pretty good, I don't know, who's turned into a number two starter in Chris Bassett. I don't know what's yep. going on with Alec Manoa. Jose Barrios looks like the guy that they thought they were signing to a seven-year extension. Makes looks, a ball every five days. Yep. Uh, and they got a, a lineup that is good, if not great, that has run into some runners in scoring position bad luck recently, I would say. That, that probably doesn't have enough power, like – 
probably should have thought about the, the power thing going into the season a little bit more besides getting a little more yeah, the left-handed. Run, the runners in scoring position thing is a little luck, right? You, yeah. you, you got to figure Dalton Varsha has gotten a, a bunch of at-bats with runners in scoring position. When you get that, that's never a good thing. So just because early in the season he's trying to figure out who he is, right? It's a little yes. unfair. Yeah. And when he's where he's at in the order – and he's coming up more times than somebody else that you could have on your team that is in those positions and, yeah. you know, know how to let a ball travel and hit a, a OO, you know, elevated fastball to left center and drive in two runs with first and second and two outs. Yeah. That's what I, that's what we're talking about here. So you got to get some things ironed out. You got to have some guys having some better at bats. You got to have some guys taking some elevated fastballs who don't like the elevated fastball. You know, you got to have Alec Manoa. It's go time. Like, there's no more of the – he had a good side session. Do you care? I don't need it more. Like, I want to see performance. This is this – is, that's like the Vladdy hard hit thing and the exit velocity. Do you care? No. No, I don't either. We should just not say that anymore. Like, <laughs> I don't it's, – it's, it's, it's about him driving in 85 more runs by the uh, end of the season. That's what that's about. It's like Bo. You think Bo cares about exit velocity? Yeah. He hits that little blooper to right field no. over and over and over again because he's mm -hmm. on base all the time. That, mm -hmm. That's his goal, right? My job is a as a hitter mm -hmm. hitting in the two hole is to get on base all the time for Vladdy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's sort of where we're at with this, right? He's been pretty good at that. By he's the way, been great. Uh, lineup is out. Uh, Kevin Kiermaier is still out of the lineup. Uh, still dealing with that back injury. Well, that's when you chuck balls all over the place when you're not supposed to be doing that mm. at his age. That's normally what happens, right? You did a little bit more under control. Everybody knows you got a great arm. Hit the cutoff guy. Turn around. Set your feet. Hit the cutoff guy. Have a good finish towards your target. You do that. You won't miss however many games he's been missing. That's a big deal, right? That's he's you're, been you're putting guys in the most in consistent games Blue Jays hitter outside so, of Boba Shad. Yeah, you're getting on base and you need a bunch of those, and he can steal some bases late in the game, which is going to help you. Can manu how dare I say manufacture a run late in the game? Right? I'm with you. When, when you're not driving a man, you might want to try and manufacture. Yeah, that's right. a big deal. So he needs to hurry up and get back and. Yeah, to help this team win 67 more games. I wish we had more time. We could talk. And I wish he was in the lineup. We, we could talk about him, you know, maybe moving out of the nine hole when he returns. To where? I don't know. Well, you brought <laughs> it up. So where's he hit? Somewhere higher where he like can get where? more plate appearances. I mean, I've heard this leadoff. Isn't there a dude that's making $150 million? Well, and, and he's off? coming around. And he's coming around. I mean. I, I don't know if it necessarily so, so, has to be leadoff. Well, where else he hit? Well, I mean. Not two, not three, not you four, can hit not five, six. not six. Why not six? Oh, because that's sort of a run producer spot. You want him on base. Whit Merrifield's hitting He's there right now. Who's that's a pretty similar? Who's a they, pretty similar it's like, hitter? It's like having the true eighth inning guy. Yeah. If you had that, you could have two hybrid guys <laughs> yeah. and a closer. If you had a cleanup hitter, now everybody else just sort of falls in place. <laughs> All right, I gotta get to this, but you're great as always, Kevin. Right, Thank thanks you. Thanks for having me. All right, time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blue Jays favorites in game one against the Brewers. They are minus 152 uh, with Yusei Kikuchi on the mound. Brewers 132 to win a baseball game. Uh, game one of the Stanley Cup final. It is the Golden Knights minus 132 on Saturday. Thursday, Heat Nuggets. Nuggets, big time favorites in game one. Minus 375. And that was last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. All right, Kevin Barker's all warmed up now. So that's a favor I just did for him. Uh, let's see what he has for an encore. Blair and Barker coming your way next before the Blue Jays and Milwaukee Brewers 
I'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Drive Time. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.